Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Andrew Malcolm, the Chief Executive of WH Malcolm. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So gentlemen, with the Scottish Government allowing councils to introduce workplace parking charges, will you be getting the bus to work, Willie? Uh, no, I certainly won't be getting the bus to work, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I was trying to explain that to someone in the office this morning. This is just a tax. Right, it was dressed up as you know part of the whole climate change initiative, whatever. This is a tax. So, Willie, can you help me out? I I don't quite understand what's happening here. Can you maybe just explain it to me and the listeners? Okay. So, if I provide a car parking a car parking space for anyone of my employees who work in the head office, right? Now there'll be there's a potential of that cost to me of four hundred pound per annum. Right, oh my God. As a parent child. But what they're saying is, but they get out for the government is that I'm allowed, you know, to put that cost onto my employee. Aye, right. Okay. Aye. So that'll be good. That'll be good, you know, conversation. Aye, very good. Which which will not be happening. Right. No. But 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 here which makes it interesting, Tom. If you apply to the council, any council at the moment, to build a building or a home, or if you want to build a block of flats, a development, whatever. Then yep. they actually stipulate to you how many car parking spaces that you have to That's have. That's right, Willie. And that I can right. tell you that every developer fights to get that reduced. Uh-huh. So here's what I'm saying. If the council want to prove me wrong in what I'm saying, that it's not just a tax, then if your office or your development, housing development, is within 20 minutes, they call it 20-minute neighbourhood, then <clears throat> let's make it that we don't have to have any car parking spaces. So if you're serious, if it's about the environment, then let's get that to a minimum. If not, it's a tax by any other name. It sounds to me, Willie, this is the poll tax on wheels. 100%. So what impact will it have, do you think, on business? Apart from, obviously, developers, Willie, yep. it sounds like a good thing. Tom is right, but the difference is now this tax is not on individuals. So you're not going to have 100,000 people on the street you know, led by Tommy Sheridan to get the thing taken away. Uh, this has been put onto companies with the proviso, oh, but you can charge. And it's dressed up like, oh, it's only £8 a week to park, right? We we built, we gave up this land, we built these car parking spaces so people will not park outside in, on the main thoroughfare, right? But now what's going to happen is, literally back in the old days, people are going to have to find somewhere else to park their cars. So, well, if when you built your gleaming new HQ yep. in the Gorbals, yep. how many car parking spaces did you have to uh, I think, uh, if I'm right, Tom, uh, uh, you know, don't quote me this, I think it was somewhere like 480. Wow. 480. So right. that, that they, they're going to charge you, I mean, I mean, my, my my own office is down in Dundonald. We, we don't actually have a public transport. People can't get to our building unless they've got a car. Yeah. Which is, is a bit of a problem, but I mean, our people live locally. So, even there, where there isn't a public transport alternative, they're still going to charge us, Willie. Yes. The, the only national exemptions will be for 
NHS properties, GP surgeries and hospices. So yeah. is that kind of fair on other workers who can't get to the work? Well, Donald, they only done they only done that after a backlash. Yeah, indeed. They only brought in the exemptions, you know, and and I think if it wasn't for COVID, there'd be no exemptions. And Willie, what is the local authority going to do with the money? <laughs> exactly. Well, they could start by repairing the potholes. I mean, the, 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 if, if this is another tax, I can tell you, run about where we are at the moment, sitting in the studio, it's an absolute disgrace. The state, oh, of, the, the disgrace. State, yeah. the state, state of the road outside is an absolute disgrace. And I, I was going to speak to you about that. I, I got a puncture, Willie, so there's, yeah. a, there's a charge for £75 coming your way. How much does it cost for a tyre for a Ford Focus? It was just like £75 for a tyre And 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 I'd also say Donald, there is other models you can buy (laughs) (laughs) Well maybe maybe they'll get some money From uh, Transport Scotland's plan To introduce road tolls To help drive a 20% reduction In the distance travelled by cars By the end of the decade So do you think tolls on motorways Bridges and tunnels are good for business Tom? Well, again, if it's just another tax on top of the road tax that we pay, I mean, listen, this, I believe, is all about getting to a net zero position by 2040, 2050. But has there been any consultation about this? Or is it just the SNP Green Coalition looking for some headlines here? Because... I certainly didn't know much about this car park tax, the road tolls now. I mean, who who's coming up with this nonsense? And and Tom, none of this, none of this, right, will make a difference to climate change. This is just an excuse for a hike in tax, right? And and no, the question about road tolls, we we understand more than anybody that things have to be paid for. Right, so if you're going to build a new super-duper uh, part of the motorway where you have to pay a toll and you've got a choice, like like the section down at the M6 at Birmingham, right? Yep. And I don't. if you ask the government, right, the amount of... After building that and making it a toll road, I'm astonished when I go down there, the amount of people that will not go on it, right, for a small right. amount of money. Back in the day when it was £6, I don't know how much it is now, but people would not use it. I couldn't believe it. No, if I'm in a rush to get to London, I'm on it, I'll pay my £6, whatever. If you've been in the States, everywhere you go, there's a toll, you're fine to do that. But the roads are in good condition. And, and there's quite a, there's a few kilometres of road. I think once again here, listen, I think Scotland, we need a national conversation about, we're, we're, we're all agreed, I believe, that we want to get to a net zero. But we're not agreed how we get there. And, Putting out these policies with scant regard to the taxpayer is not a way to get people on side. We should have a national conversation about this, explain it from the government's point of view, and then we can have opposing points of view, and then we can decide. Just chucking out these policies is madness. Well, can I ask what the impact is going to have on city and town traders with another plan, which is from Transport Scotland, to slash parking spaces? I've gone top of the parking levies to force commuters onto buses and trains or to cycle to work. Is this going to be a positive thing, you know, a new experience for people coming into the city, or is it going to damage all the shops? Well, I've seen, I don't know if you've seen it, there was a... There was a, 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 a a small film on uh, BBC the other night about talking to two cyclists in Glasgow. 
uh, and these are people who are pushing, I think it's cyclist activists, this guy is known as, and he was telling you that the things that they have done don't work. Right, so this is a guy that's trying to get more and more people onto cycles and he was telling you whatever they've done in Sucky Hall Street, they've made a complete mess of it. So this is another situation where people do something to get a headline. Oh, well, let's go green, let's put in a cycle lane, which I agree with, right? But then they don't consult with the very people who want to use them and we do the wrong things. This is what gets people mad when we talk about tax hikes, when you think of the money that is being wasted, yeah, I couldn't agree more, Willie. I mean, one of the consequences of the pandemic, Donald, has been that the use of public transport is way down. And I, I think it's going to take time for people to get confident again, to be, you know, um, in close proximity to people. So the use of the private car, hence the price of secondhand cars going through the roof, yeah. that's that's what's happened as a consequence of the pandemic. Now, does it make sense to have a very good integrated public transport system? Yes, it does. But trying to bring it in without explaining all these things and at a time when people are hesitant to use public transport, I mean, I've saw some figures, you know, the uses of trains and of buses are, are down, at its height, they were down 85%. They've come back to about half of where they were. So are they going to go back to 100%? I don't know. that. These are all the questions about what's changed forever with the pandemic and what's just been temporary. Of course, we've had our storms recently and on public transport. I wonder what your thoughts were the fact that ScotRail just uh, shut down no trains after four o'clock, you know, well in advance. Are we becoming too risk-averse. You know, in my day, it used to be you turn up, the trains were delayed, but you kind of, they kind of got through. But now it's saying, don't come into work. Yeah. Yeah, I thought last week that the announcement that was made, obviously we're very, very fortunate. Scotland was not hit the way that most of the UK was hit. And, and maybe that may have been luck, so it may have been the right thing to do. But you're right, everything now is down to insurance, right? And, and what people were doing there was just being... I think maybe overcautious. Uh, I, I you know we've seen some of the films of you know high load lorries being uh, blown over on bridges and what have you. But I think that it might be a case of maybe just getting the trains to go a wee bit slower. I don't think we had to cancel them all. <laughs> yeah, I I think we've just become you know big namby pamby. If I'm perfectly honest with you, yeah. nobody's going to get sacked for cancelling all the trains, yeah. but. If, if you run the trains and one person falls and grazes her knee, oh my God, that's the yes. end of the world. That is a problem. So that's the problem for me, Donald. Well, another wee story that caught my eye this week was the fact that wind farms in Scotland were paid £24.5 million in 2020 to shut down when they were producing too much energy. Does that <laughs> deal make sense, given we're pushing ahead with plans to build more wind farms, Willie? Yeah, this is mind-blowing. <laughs> mind-blowing. I mean, people listening to this today will think, what is going on? You know, what is absolutely going on? We're talking about renewables, what we're trying to do. And here we have a situation where we're paying people not to produce electricity for the grid. Right, and so there is there is something wrong with this. And 
you have to ask yourself now, so we're jumping up and down a few weeks ago about the 700 million for the new wind farms, you know, that, that we're going to have. Uh, where, 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 is, where is the energy that they produce going to go if the grid couldn't take what we've got at the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually did read about this in the Herald, Donald, you'll be pleased to know. I'm delighted and to hear that. I had to look at it twice and say, right, we're paying people not to produce renewable energy. I mean, it's like, it's it's hard to believe that we're doing that. But then when you look into it, it's the storage of the energy we haven't quite cracked yet. So when it's produced in the wind farms, it's got to be used straight away almost. So we haven't quite joined up that renewable from the wind to the grid and how we're going to store it. Um, but I think it's coming, Donald. But in the short term, I mean, who decided we're going to pay people not to produce? Another cracker for me. Yep. Well, is it fair that ultimately it's the customer paying for the government and energy suppliers' failure to match supply and demand? So oh, there's only one. Yep. There's only one person pays for it all, which is people who consume energy. And my God, we talked about it last week. The price. Um, well, he talked about a contract after that show. I got my team together, and um, well, they actually get quite a good deal. They were trying to charge me a, a lot more than that, so yeah. I, I get straight on to Willie to try and help me out there. Well, well talking of wind, um, the Scottish <laughs> government's army of spin doctors has doubled in size since 2018, now costs taxpayers £9 million a year. There are now the equivalent of, wait for this, 175 full-time oh staff. So are we God. getting value for money, Tom? I, I, is it just me that's grumpy today? But <laughs> the stories you're bringing up, Donald, are, are making my blood boil here. Um, what on earth are they doing all day long? Just talk, just producing wind. Uh, mind you, they're getting paid for no producing it. I would, I would pay them not to produce it. Yeah. What they're doing, Tom, is they're spending all their time coming up with nice catchphrases that disguises a real tax hike to make it look like a green <laughs> policy. That's what well, they're, they're doing. they're not very good at no, it. No, no, exactly. They're not very good at it. And this, we, we mentioned it last week, right? And this is what we're talking about. There's, where is the accountability? Yes. Where is the accountability? If someone in your business came and said to you that they wanted to double a department, you would want to see what the return on your investment was, right? Yeah. And I think this is another example. These are the things that get the average person in the street jumping up and down, right? These are the, these are the things where, you know, one, we're paying somebody 25 million for switching their turbines off and now we've doubled the, the spin room right, for the government, right? I think that this, these are the these are the things that there should be a spotlight shone right on. And no matter who's in charge, right, of whether the, yeah. uh, you know, it's Labour, uh, SNP, Liberal, whatever it may be, the, there's got to be accountability when it comes to burgeoning, you know, offices within the government. Willie mentioned um, that they're paid to come up with catchphrases. So a wee quick quiz for you. Oh. They came up, they're the ones that come up with facts which has made sure it was different to the UK. Can you remember what facts stand for? Either of you. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I can't, no. Yeah. Oh, well. 
Well, let's, let, let's move on to something more positive then. <laughs> let's move on to some cheerier, Donald. Come on. Well, well, cheery. Boris is effectively removing all COVID restrictions, including being legally forced to self-isolate. Yay. Obviously, yeah, but Nicola is again taking a slightly more cautious approach. Ooh. So <laughs> you probably answer this. <laughs> Who's going to be proved right? <laughs> Willie. Well, Nicola won't take a more cautious approach if she finds out she's not getting any money from London to pay for it. <laughs> so we'll be on a par, I would imagine, within a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, I, I, again, but back to the facts. The sad thing about this whole last two years has been that we've been told that all decisions will be made with scientific facts and it's been nothing like that. It's been whatever suited at the time, whatever they wanted to do. Every time Boris had to throw a dead cat on the table, you know, he would have a press <laughs> conference. So every time he get caught at a party, he would have a press Ooh. conference to talk about COVID. You know, it's been, it's, it's some of it in the last eight to nine years. Once we get by the seriousness of what was happening to people, some of it has been, it's been a joke. Absolute joke. Well, at least there's there's an inquiry coming into the way governments have handled the crisis. And, of course, we're spending money, Scottish Government, on getting lawyers to provide legal advice for all the ministers. What a complete waste of time. Uh, what a complete waste of time. I can't remember in, in the history of, of learning about, you know, inquiries that anyone's ever come out and been roasted. So why waste more public money, right? Because what will happen at the end is it'll be a whitewash. Yeah. So I... I I welcome um, Boris in saying it's the end of this um, because I don't like being told what to do by government. I don't like being told what to do by MD, frankly, but anyway, especially government. Um, I would rather them lay out the facts to us and 99.9% .9 of people are reasonable and will deal with it appropriately. I mean, last week I came back from a trip, I caught COVID and... I self-isolated. It was a nuisance, but I did it. Not because the government told me, because it was the right thing to do. I don't want to give it to anybody else. And therefore, you've got to trust the population to do the right thing. And, you know, we live in this world where maybe the Daily Mail comes up with a headline that, you know, there's 0.1% of the population are idiots and they're breaking the rules. Well, deal with them. But 99.9% of people are decent, they know what's right, and they'll do what's right. We don't need to be told by law, by the government. I am totally against that. Um, I'd like to see um, the testing continuing, so I think we should taper off the free testing a bit longer than Boris is saying. And it's up to Nicola. Nicola can do that if she wants to use some of Scotland's own money. I, I find it hilarious that um, whenever the money comes from Westminster, Nicola moans about it. <laughs> well, she can start more in now. Willie, what's your view? Should we be continuing a wee bit more with the free lateral tests? Yeah, I, I think so, but it's got to come to an end soon. You know, I think that we uh, have to stop, we have to move on, you know, from, from covid uh, and I think we have to get back on our own two feet. So I, I think that maybe being a bit cautious at the moment is the right thing to do. But really, by the end of March, I'd like to see us back to, to there's no restrictions whatsoever. And if you want a test, you pay for it. 
Well, hopefully things will start to ease up um, in the coming months. Coming up, we'll be talking to Andrew Malcolm, the Chief Executive of WH Malcolm. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. Beat on the guest spotlight on Andrew Malcolm, Chief Executive of the Malcolm Group. In the latest of our brilliant series in Great Scots, we tell the story of Andrew's company, WH Malcolm. WH Malcolm Limited can trace its origins back to 1921, when Walter Malcolm formed a small family coal business with just a single horse and cart. When Walter died in 1934, 13-year-old son Donald left school to help run the family business. He began collecting coal from the nearby railway station and would fill individual sacks with coal in preparation for door-to-door deliveries around his local area. Just over 10 years later, the Malcolm fleet had grown to five vehicles. By 1960, Donald entered into a partnership with Grampian Holdings PLC, although Donald would remain in charge after the takeover. At the time, the company's assets included 37 vehicles and seven earth-moving machines. But it would rapidly expand into road building and equipment hire, as well as a shelving business. Today, the company has grown to provide not just road and rail transport, but also warehousing and terminal management, as well as civil engineering, plant hire, construction and vehicle maintenance. In January 2002, Grampian Holdings was renamed the Malcolm Group PLC and was listed on the UK Stock Exchange. Donald Malcolm died the following year, and in May 2005, after 45 successful years in the public domain, the Malcolm Group was taken back into private ownership by the Malcolm family, and is now run by Donald's two sons, Andrew and Walter Malcolm. The success of WH Malcolm is largely due to the hard work and business savvy of one man, Donald Malcolm, thanks to his entrepreneurial foresight and prudent investment, often against market trends, WH Malcolm has become one of the leading providers of logistics, construction and maintenance services in the UK. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. That's another brilliant success story and you must be very proud. The company's celebrating its centenary this year, so what do you plan to celebrate? Well, I think the the great success really is coming through from private to public and back to private and still being here some 15 years further on, which is great. Our philosophy this year is all going to be about Malcolm's first. We've come through some very interesting challenges in the last two years, but this year is all about Malcolm's first. We've learned a lot of lessons, but our biggest asset in Malcolm's is all the workforce and our people. So we want to get around round our people. We want to develop with our people understand the things that makes us different from the rest out there and uh, how we really take the next you know, 100 years you know, stepping stone forward. So what does make you different? I think we've got a very down-to-earth you know, basics in Malcolm's. We've got a very strong can-do, will-do approach and our whole approach to everything we do within the organisation. We are not frightened to invest strongly and heavily in the future of the business but responding by the day. Um, but most importantly, we call it the Hollage College in Malcolms, the Training Academy in Malcolms. We're always looking to bring on the next generation you know, through our own progress and development from that point of view. But very much, uh, I think, where we are because we've got a can-do-will-do approach. Andrew, first of all, very many congratulations. I, I just love this story. And I love the fact that you're 100 years in and you're planning for the next 100 years. How many businesses could actually say that and believe it? It's fantastic. Well done, Andrew. Thank you. So it's another case of a fantastic 
Scottish family business. We seem to be talking a lot, Willie, about family businesses yep. on the Go Radio Business Show. So was there ever any doubt, Andrew, that you were going into the business? And is there any ever doubt that your family is going to go and carry on the business? Um, I don't I don't think so. I mean, from virtually the day I could walk, I was always seen as Donald Shadow. Um, <laughs> so I really, I was born and bred knowing the business that way. The business was founded and ran for many years in the, in the backyard from the family home in Brookfield. So really, we lived and breathed that whole sector and it became a bit of my kind of hobby horse or my playground at uh, nights and weekends, um, Tom. So no, I never had any doubt that that was in, in my blood and that's the way I wanted to go. I think one thing... Father used to always say to us all, at the end of the day, transport's one of these industries, if it's not in your blood, don't get into it. Because, again, it's, it's got severe swings from the highs and the lows, but it's a very good balancing uh, sector as well. But, uh, no, there was, there was never any doubt, I think, that was always the route that I was going to go from the, virtually from the day well, before I left school. And how do you keep yourself relevant, Andrew? Um, because family businesses sometimes can be a bit insular. We were talking to Ian McGee last week, McGee's Bakeries, about how he keeps that business moving on. And it seems to me, at every stage of your journey, you're one step ahead and you're planning all the time. But but how do you get the inspiration to keep doing that? Uh, I think through my people. I mean, nearly every senior manager and director we've got in the business have all been homebred. Um, they've right. come with knowledge and experience, but they practically understand the strengths of what we can do. And uh, more importantly, they also know the weaknesses we've got in the business, the things we can't do. And again, I, I used to see years ago, and I mean this way, it sounds, you know, I used to get quite a kick when I used to walk around the car park in the morning or at night you know, and see, you know, that our employees' confidence that they had, you know, of how they, what cars they had and how they drove and things like that. You know, they're investing in their future, but also saw a secure future as well. But I get a lot of satisfaction by just going around my depots on a day-by-day -day basis. So, so you're still very hands-on, Andrew, then? Uh, I think uh, some people may say maybe I'm a bit too hands-on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't. I don't sit in the office and look at spreadsheets. I'd rather go out there and understand it and live it and breathe it. And you'll you'll find more about your business being being amongst it. Andrew, obviously, it's a fantastic story. Do you want to tell the listeners a wee bit about you know the volume, how many employees you have at the moment, what you're actually doing, how many trucks you've got in the road, all of that. People are always interested. Yeah, yeah. employees were sitting about two thousand. Wow. Um, wow. That number has been quite static for maybe for quite a number of years, less five, five, seven, eight, nine years. Um, Quite often we get criticised, you know, say, they say, what's your strategy for employment growth? I said, I don't have one. Yeah. I'm more into no um, employee no sustainability. Yeah. Um, from that point of view, if we get it right and it comes along, we can increase numbers from there. So we're, we're about 2,000 employees. They're split probably about 1,400 in our logistic division in the balance and construction. The background of the business, sort of called the, the conventional Donald Malcolm side, was always, he was a tipper and plant hire. Muck shifter. Yeah. That, that was his bed and butter. Uh, and that's what he loved through and through. That division has grown quite dramatically over the last 20, 25 years. We're now, it does major uh, infrastructure works, civil works. But we also got our own quarry, landfill. We've invested very heavily in recycling, aggregate plants as well. Yeah. Um, so we really try and give the customers the full one-stop shop from end to end, including the traditional plant hire, tipper hire, that's still there. Um, when I left school, I joined what was known then as the poor relation, was the, the general holiday side of the business. Because Donald was a tipper and plant man with this third division. And it was quite good. He gave me a reasonably free hand to drive that place forward the way I wanted to. That division now is running about probably about 375 trucks. There's 100 in construction. Uh, and also it's about 5 million square foot warehousing nationally. 
Wow. Um, the main word developed since 2001. I'm, I'm delighted that Dad made it to the opening of our first rail terminal in 2001. But today we are moving about 1,000 domestic loads a week by rail throughout the length and breadth of the UK. So again, we offer the total logistics package from end to end. Plus, we also nowadays, we run a number of customer sites, know, know some of our key customers in the Scotch whisky market. We actually do the practical logistics on their sites as well. Fantastic. So it's really established into quite a, a wide bread. With, with the, obviously, the, the green issues, um, do you see more of a shift towards rail or is it still, you know, is, are we going to get new electric vehicles or are all the trucks going to be electric? The answer no to electric trucks. Yeah. I think there's a place for everything. Yeah. Uh, electric trucks will do the last mile deliveries. Yeah. Um, what we do, we do bulk haul, no long haul. Yeah. And uh, there's not an electric truck that will do that for us. I think in, by the time we get to the early 2030s, we'll probably be hydrogen. We'll probably mean me. Yeah. Rail is a sleeping giant. Still far too much bureaucracy about getting more goods onto rail. Getting paths on rail as well is quite a challenge as well. There's capacity there. I think nowadays, no, it's a major drive. We've certainly got a very clear strategy for this year to get more goods from road to rail. Wow. So what are the issues with rail we talked about, the bureaucracy? Um, number one is you, you're getting the pathways. Passenger rail will always control the paths. Know, from that point of view. Yeah. So sometimes getting additional pathways to suit times. Keep in mind, I mean, what we do in our business at the end of the day, a lot of the goods we move for the supermarket and such like, it's just in time. So we can't afford to be delayed. Right, so again, the flexibility, trucks give flexibility. You can load them late, dispatch them late, but still expect to get them there on time. Yeah. Rail's very disciplined. No, it leaves on time. Nine times out of ten, it always arrives on time as well. We've, we've got a thing going in Malcolm's just now. We've been running for about the last three to four years called 48 tonnes for 48 miles. And rail is disadvantaged because it can carry three and a half tonnes less payload than a road-going vehicle. Right. right. And on domestic traffic, three and a half tonnes over a 44-tonne vehicle is a lot of volume over a short distance, three to three, 400 miles. Mm. The Westminster government have now approved a trial of 48 tonnes, 48 miles. So that's putting vehicles that are intermodal up four tonnes and a 40-mile radius of a rail terminal. So it's been wow. approved for a trial. Unfortunately, we're still struggling to get Holyrood and Transport Scotland to support the trial. Why wow. is that? Politics. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit like just out of the bureaucracy of Westminster and Scotland. I mean, Scotland did an exceptionally good trial you know, where they lifted the speed limit in the A9 to 50 miles an hour for all HGVs, and it's proved it's worth successful. England have now adopted 50 miles an hour for all HGVs on all A-class roads. We can't get Scotland to move away from the A9 trials. Wow. So, a good example, I've got a lot of drivers based in England. You no, know, they're driving about for, let's say, three or four days doing 50 miles an hour on A-class roads. They come up to Berwick in the A9, they cop for speeding because they're, they're back to 40. So, so we were the first to prove a concept works and didn't follow through with it? Ab absolutely. And believe it or not, what I've tried to say on this 48 tonnes for 48 miles no concept, Scotland imports cube, yeah. but it exports internally weight. Right. If you look at the Scotch whisky market, look at the, the soft drink market, the water, no timber, Scotland would benefit most out of the heavier weights coming out of Scotland. Right. And that, that's one we're trying to look at is the economies. But again, I don't know, it's because Westminster said they want the trials and they've actually published it in their, in their white paper for this year. They're going to support the trials. The Scotland, we can't get Scotland no, to come across the line. So a bit of bureaucracy, just I do I, I'm not... We'll see I, what we I, can I, do. I, we... I, I would hate to say it's politics, Willie, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> we will take a note of that, Andrew, and we'll have a, that discussion yeah. when okay. we talk to the politicians. Yeah, Andrew, can I ask you, you're obviously know your industry, every nut and bolt in the industry. Does um, MD from government ever ask your opinion on things? 
I engage quite a lot with government through the Road, Tra the Road Haulage Association. Um, okay. They've got the strength of the membership and the volume you know, to speak louder than what I can. Sure. Um, I, do, I do engage with them from time to time, Tom, but probably I do more of that through the associations. So the next part of the question is, if they're listening, do they ever do anything about what they've listened to? Um, not quick enough in my mind, and quite often not at all. So I think they do listen. I think they do recognise. I think the problem is there's so much um, to get through to try and then make it into legislation. Yeah, I just think Scotland's a small country. We should be nimble. We should be quick to react. We should be having this conversation between business and government and making things happen and, and help Scotland flourish. Yeah. You know, it, I, I just don't accept from a government point of view, oh, that's difficult. You know, it'd be different if we were sitting in China. I understand there. That's a mm. big that's a big country. Scotland's small. We should play to our strengths here. Anyway, that's just my opinion. I, mean, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, we are a small country coast to coast. If you think we're two two main export-import terminals are both in Greenock and Greensmouth, same time as... Yeah. It's the one butte I enjoy most now being back into totally 101% private hands. We decide to do something. We just go on and do it. Yeah, And again, that. government, I think, could learn a lot from how the private sector runs their own business. No, you take a view, you evaluate it, you invest heavily into it, but you go on with it. And the word that Willie's been using, and I totally endorse this, is accountability. If you decide to do something that doesn't work, you're accountable. Whereas in government, you know, it, they seem they can hide and we never find them. <laughs> Andrew, can I ask you, we were talking earlier about the new levy and car parking charges and hopefully it would go towards um, help repair some of the potholes. You're the perfect guy to, to answer this question. Are we just imagining are the roads not in the worst state they've ever been in? They absolutely are. And yeah. uh, believe it or not, we actually, because we're in our own construction division and within it we've got our own tarmac division, believe it or not, we sort more portholes outside our depots than the council do. Wow. Because they don't come. <laughs> no, that, that's the frightening bit. But you know, it's the one that worries me because you think about it. I mean, all of my depots are not on main bus routes or rail routes. Yes. A lot of our drivers will maybe travel maybe 25, 30 minutes a day to get to the work. We create secure car parking for them in every single site we have. So when they're at work, when they're away from the depot, their cars are secure. I mean, God help us. See, we ain't having to start the parking levy. Yeah. No, put them back out in the street. Yeah. No. It's, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's unthinkable. We'll talk about it. It's, it's, it's a crazy policy. And, and to try and dress it up as part of your green agenda um, is just totally unacceptable. This is just a tax. You know, as Tom says, it's the poll tax on wheels. Yeah. Can I change subject uh, entirely and talk about the differences from being a, a private business, PLC, and a family business? What are the challenges and opportunities that creates in each of those sectors? And obviously, I would imagine being a family business is what you prefer, but why? Um, I got parachuted into the PLC board when I was only 30 because Dad's health took a major downturn. Uh, we put it in perspective just now, my, my dad was diagnosed with cancer on his 60th birthday oh. and was given six months to live. He was 78 when he died Wow! after 17 operations, right? Wow. Because yeah. he just was determined. And I, I, I still use that every day. But in fairness, no. He also had a great saying in life, no, it's for you, no goodbye you. Uh, right? Uh, and uh, <laughs> when I spent the time on the Grampian board and I watched with interest at the end of the day, I wasn't a strong voice on the board, but I was also a very strong listener and observed a lot how things were. I come back to the Malcolm family values. We're always investing in tomorrow, responding by today. 
when we were caught in that PLC environment, tomorrow wasn't really important. The workforce wasn't that important. It was how we actually create no liquidity in the shares. And that, that went, be, went against a lot of my basic principles, how we've been brought up. We brought the business back into the private entity. And one of my biggest worries were that a lot of the big corporate organisations we dealt with, would they want to be all their eggs in one basket with a privately owned company in the west of Scotland, and although we cover the UK? I'm delighted to say we have a long-standing relationship with all our customers, and every one of them with open arms. We're glad you're back to the old way Malcolm's were. No, we're doing things for the right reasons. Oh, we're doing things fantastic. for the actually for the future. That's not just the future of the business, yeah. it's the future of my workforce as well. And my, my dad described them as his wider family, which they are. No, at the end of the day. No, we quite often get criticized for having a very flat structure of management in Malcolm's the way we are. Now, I can always put my head over the parapet when times need, but we treat everyone in the workforce at the exact same level. When the matter is the boy that's no brushing the, the workshop floor. Or the guy sitting in my MD sitting next office at the end of the day, everyone is equally important to WH Malcolm. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. And I think it's a bit unique, Andrew, that we've got you on this morning. There's not many people can talk about that journey who've went from private to public and back to private, especially as a, as a family business. So I'm sure a lot of people will be listening this morning with interest to, to, to that. I'm sure you could write a book about it. <laughs> well, we're, we're trying to write a second book. I did a book when Dad passed away, Donald yeah. Malcolm, The Driving Force. Yeah. And uh, with the Beano Centenary, we're starting to tr do another book, you know, for the next part of the, yeah. the chapter. Yeah. But uh, the story, so what I've done with a guy called Bob Tuck, I've given him completely openness to go and talk to some of the old employees and some of the current employees, right? But I've got a lot of fathers, sons and daughters, actually, who are still in the business, know from where in the business. Wow. So they'll be, I've not been allowed to see it yet. Yeah, I've been interested in reading. It will be when they get it done. Well, you have to get it serialised in the Herald. <laughs> <laughs> It seems this week I've been speaking a lot about to entrepreneurs who are maybe thinking of going public, maybe looking at the different ways of raising finance. And there's so many different ways of raising finance now and, and not having to go public. I guess I'm probably against public markets just for the things you, you've said about there, Donald. And I love flat structures I love the people making decisions, being closest to the customer, being closest to your employees. Cut out all the nonsense that goes on and the politics in between. And your story is a fantastic insight and an inspiration to Scotland, actually, Andrew. So well done. Yeah, and I'd just like to add to that, Andrew, that uh, I'm sure that your dad is very, very proud that he's on here today as a great Scot, and I'm sure he'll be very, very proud of what you have done with his legacy. So, again, as Tom says, what a fantastic story, and certainly someone who deserves to be called a great Scot. Absolutely. Um, can, can I change subjects a wee bit? I've, I've obviously been fortunate. I know the family for many, many years, and people know who Malcolms are, and you have a wee bet in the car how quick it will be before you see a Malcolms truck. <laughs> people don't know but how much you actually give back and what you do for the community. And I've been delighted to attend some of the, the fundraisers that you have. I know your sisters, you yeah. know, Marion and Wilma, yeah. and I know the girls are involved yeah. in that as well. And and the Malcolm should be very proud of that. Do you want to tell the people a wee bit about that? Yeah, we, um, I mean, I say we're a people's company and um, we employ a lot of local people. And we put a lot of money every year back into local charities. We try and commit in every part of the UK where we have a depot into something that touches the heart yeah. of the workforce in that local depot. 
The main thing we do, obviously, we know I had one in December, the Donald Malk Memorial Ball, which my daughter Nicola yeah. organises. She gets involved in a lot of the community and charity stuff. And um, that has been done the back of Beats and Cancer. Yeah. Um, so they get 80% of the benefits of that in December. And our two local hospices got the balance. And that's something we do now. That ball's every two years. So that was the fourth year. We raised quarter million pounds in December, wow. that one. Wow. Which Amazing. I think, well which I think yeah. must be a bit of a record well for Scotland. Yeah. But... Uh, we put money into charities because it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Right? We don't hang from chandeliers, no, look what we've done there. It's the right thing to do. And uh, obviously I lost dad with cancer. And uh, I would say over the last probably three or four years, I didn't realise until I get more actively involved with the Beatson as well, how many of our employees are either directly or indirectly affected and yeah. actually attend the Beatson as yeah. well. I've been to a few events and the work that Nicola puts in and the yesterday, the young team is absolutely amazing. And I have to say to the listeners, it's one of the best events of the year. So I know the reason why you raise so much money, but they put so much into putting on a wonderful night. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, good on you, Andrew. Good on you. So finally, Andrew, can I ask you, what piece of advice would you pass on to any listener that's involved in business right now? Something you learned over the years. Oh, there's probably so much and it probably depends what day of the week you ask me that question. <laughs> yeah. um, the main thing I will say to people is one thing looking outwards but don't lose sight of what's going on inside. I learn more every day about my business of what's going inside the business. Um, I keep close to the market what's going on. I know my competitors quite well. Um, but more importantly, you'll learn more about your own business by engaging and sharing thoughts and views with your own internal people. 90% of the answers to any challenge you've got, you've got the answers internally if you just get down there and share it and listen. That's a brilliant piece of advice to end on. Thank you, Andrew. Great. Thanks. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. We're going to our phone lines now to talk to Martin Paul, owner of MP Insulations Limited. Welcome to the show, Martin. Hi, Donald. Thanks, mate. Uh, we're delighted to have you on. Before you put your question to Tom and Willie, can you tell us a wee bit about your business? Aye, uh, so basically, we're a, we're a cauldron construction company in Glasgow. Uh, we're a labour-only business now. I started the company in 2003, and I slowly changed it to labour-only as opposed to supply and fit. Uh, that's kind of what we do. And so can I ask Martin, obviously things have moved on in recent years in relation to construction. Uh, what was it made you go away just to, um, you know, supplying labour only? It was, it was just, uh, it, was, it was less overheads. Yeah. Right? And, and I just I just felt, I just felt the demand for it was, was great, you know. And then when I joined ISD Solutions, which was the biggest cold room company in the UK, that then opened my eyes to how bad the labour industry was in the cold room construction industry. I'm talking about it's 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 ridiculous, you know. And then I had a problem in my hands because I was growing ISD solutions. I actually worked for the for obviously the biggest cold room company in the UK, ISD. So I had a problem in my hands where I was growing ISD, but I had nobody to build the cold rooms. And I suppose I was lucky enough that I had a solution because I had a small labour only business. So. I thought it'd be good to, to kind of partner up with ISD in order to grow MP insulations. But the problem I've got is I can't find people and I am struggling to go from a small business to a medium-sized business. I've got the work, I've got the sales, I've got the, the, the backing. I just don't have the people. 
and and uh, forgive me, Ray, it's a wee while since I've watched a cold room getting constructed, but is it still mostly like kind of joiner type people that you're using? Aye. Yes. That's exactly it. I just need a semi I give you a perfect example. My, my right-hand man who runs the MP installations for me, he was an ex-tire fitter. That's all he was, you know, and I turned him into a cold room construction builder basically in a year. Yeah. So, Martin, um, Tom here. Um, so, is there... Is there any way, because it sounds you've got a really good business, sounds as, as you say you've got the sales, um, is there any way you can grow your own so you can... Well, that, 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 I, that's what I'm trying to do, Tom. I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to grow more. And basically, I've been told, we, I, I could literally quadruple my workforce tomorrow if I had the able bodies, because it's every division within ISD are struggling for labour. And... I'm obviously, as I say, I'm, I'm in a good position where I've got a, I've got a labour-only business that I can grow, and then ISD will then subcontract to work in my, my my own business, MP Insulations. So I need young guys who, who who just want a career, who want a trade. I just can't find them anywhere. I've went to every single person that I can think of to, to kind of help me out, but I just I just don't have the able bodies. That's 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 amazing. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm actually shocked to hear that. Uh, have you thought about you know rather than try to get young people you know, and, and teaching them up? Obviously, you've got guys looking for uh, you know a change in direction. You know, with what they're maybe doing, or you know, getting guys for other sectors. You know, that have got a bit of kind of engineering nous about them that would pick this up quite quickly. Martin, have you have you tried that, or even have you tried talking to any of the colleges about introducing you know like getting a training program to get six or seven guys, you know, right off a conveyor belt? Well, well, well I, I took a guy, for example, well, who's a joiner, he used to the council right before Christmas, gave him a two-week trial, he absolutely loved it, offered him the job, paid him more money than he was getting with the council, and then he refused it. You know, and, and I don't know if it's, it's this, he's maybe scared to take the jump, uh, but it was, it was so disappointing, you know, because I thought that, that's my chance. And j- just to give you an example, my turnover was like 49% increased for last year, and that's only that's only we getting another two guys on the road. So I employ a total of five just now. I could make that 15 literally tomorrow if I had the people, 20, 25. Right, so why don't you use this today to get the word out? It's a free advert for you. What would someone who was qualified who could put panels together who build a cold room say in the year's time after training, what sort of money do they earn? Approximately. You could earn approximately 30,000 plus. Well... Anyone listening this morning, right, if you want to get in touch with the station, we'll get you in touch with Martin and I'll guarantee you, right, to do that you'll get two or three people, hopefully meet even more who'll be listening to this, who will get in touch with you who are looking for a career job. Anybody who's got the chance of earning £30,000 a year at the moment, I think, would, would bite your hand off. Well, this, this, is what I, this is what I just can't understand, you know. It's like I'm looking for people who's maybe just in semi-skilled labourers' jobs, who want to have their own van, have their own team, get out there and kind of earn, earn some good money, but I just can't find the people. That's that, I'm I'm actually shocked at that, especially with the with the money available. Is, do you think any of this has got to do with COVID, or was the problem before there? I've only really seen it due to maybe the last year and a half. I, right. I think I think furlough probably hasn't helped the situation because people were getting paid kind of kind of sit about the house. Yeah. And I think I think the nature of the work it can be sometimes physical demanding, you know, and, and, and a lot of people are just thinking, well, I can earn just about the same money, can kind of maybe doing something a bit more easy, and and I, I just I, I just don't get it because I don't see myself as a businessman. I just see myself as a guy that just works a bit harder than everybody else to get what I need to get, and it's 
and that, that's obviously just where I came from, you know. Well, hopefully, hopefully the, the word will come out to everybody that you're looking for people and that's a good salary and I'm sure it's going to attract a few applicants soon. So, best of luck then, Martin. No, I appreciate yeah, it. And Martin, please come on and, and let us know through this that uh, you know two or three people uh, you know have got in touch. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go around and look at my entry and see everybody that's wrote to me for a job. If there's any of them <laughs> any at all that might fit the bill, I'll get my I'll get my P80 pass them on to you. But thanks for calling and good luck with the business. Yeah, good luck with the business, Martin. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. But don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk.